The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Really nice to be here with everyone this morning, and for those of you who <clears throat> practice Easter or <laughs> recognize Easter or have that deep imprint from your childhood like I do, happy Easter. And it's, you know, this uh, the story and, uh, yeah, the theme, the archetype of Easter and Passover, it's a profound and central principle just in terms of our own hearts. And I think one way to articulate that is All transformation, all awakening, all freedom really involves a letting go or a death even. And if you look at the story of Passover or the story of Easter, you know, the death and resurre resurrection, it's really central to this story that comes passed down through culture. And it's a, I think it's important, not just with this particular story or event of Easter, but all of our cultural stories, it's really up to us to, you know, we're going to make up meaning anyway, all the time. <clears throat> we're making up meaning. The question is, can we make up meaning that actually is helpful in our lives? And one thing, like if this resonates with us, that all transformation, all positive change, all goodness, comes from a death, a letting go, a renunciation, a putting down. You know, the seasons teach us this. You know, we have fall and winter, and then with spring, there's a renewal. Those of you who've gone through pregnancy, <clears throat> there's a real death of a kind, you know. So much of who you are and your body has to be let go of because things profoundly change. And, the, and even if you're not the, the mother of the child, but just the, one of the caretakers, it, there's a real death to who you were before you were raising a child. And this is even true with becoming the caretaker of a pet. One thing dies, you know, you not having a pet, and another thing arises. With businesses, you know, we have to put some money down. <laughs> some people have to put some money down. And there's a death to having that money in the bank and available for other uses. And we commit, we give it away with the possibility of something getting set in motion. And this is true even with falling in love. Something dies, something has to go away for something new to begin. So how much more true just in terms of our own practice. And in a way, this, at least in the early Buddhist sense, this is really seen as the unique gift of the Buddhist teachings, you know, because a lot, or not a lot, but a lot, some of what the Buddha had to say was, it's just sort of commonsensical and humans had sort of understood the value of living with more generosity or living with kindness or even concentrating the mind that was 
to some degree really understood as a value, something to, to value, this capacity to concentrate the mind, to, you know, hold the present moment in mind by using a concentration object, whether it's a ritual or a candle flame or a mantra or whatever it is. So there are a lot of these valuable spiritual lessons had been refined and developed, you know, independent of the Buddha. But one of the unique contributions to spiritual life that the Buddha's teachings, the Buddhist life represents is this centrality of renunciation. If we're interested in real happiness and freedom, we have to begin to experiment and explore the aspect of life that involves death, letting go, putting down, letting be. And uh, we make a lot of mistakes around that because like you might hear a talk like this and then just start a list. Like even while I'm talking, okay, as soon as Mark is done, I'm going to make this change in my life. I'm going to get rid of this addiction. I'm never going to do that again. I'm going to, you know, I've got seven pairs of pants. I'm going to reduce it to three. And uh, it doesn't really work very well to put ourselves, a sense of self, in the role of the one who lets go. It ends up getting tight. But it also doesn't work for us to somehow neglect or dismiss that real happiness, freedom, peace, all that the heart really seeks, really desires in that wholesome sense arises through a letting go. doesn't mean we know what to let go of, and it this is the important point, it doesn't mean we know what are the supporting causes for letting go. We tend to want to go right to the letting go. I'm just going to let go of this attachment. And how many of us are currently in these cycles of like, almost like a rubber band, we let go, I'm not going to have sugar anymore, you know, or I'm not going to do this anymore. And it's like a rubber band, maybe we get a little success, and then we swing back. And maybe it's with a different addiction, maybe it's with the same addiction. I sometimes, I used to say this a lot, a long time ago, 20 years ago when I was teaching, but in a frictionless universe, you know, there's an equal and opposite effect. So when I do something from an egoic, willful point of view, I create the conditions for the equal and opposite effect. So that, of course, brings us to the importance of understanding what mindful awareness does. It sets in motion the causes for letting go. So that letting go has to be a natural process, not a personal process. When it's a personal process, we create like, um, when if I give something away because I personally feel like I have to, then there's a then there arises in my heart a personal sense of lack. So I'll give you an example that that happens still regularly in my life. Like if I work too hard, push myself too hard, give too much in terms of my, you know, duties and responsibilities that I have in my life, then. For me, the rubber band effect is like as soon as I'm done with my duties and responsibilities, 
then the heart feels like it gets to indulge in whatever it wants to indulge in. And for me, over the decades, it's gotten more and more narrow, like what I still deludedly think is going to be worthy of indulging, you know, whether it's entertainments. I mean, there are too many choices generally, right? We have entertainments, we have food, we have, you know, sex, we have, what else is there? <laughs> oh, sleep, right? Oblivion. <laughs> you know, which could come about through, you know, drugs and alcohol, where we get into a, you know, an oblivious state where we feel like we have some distance temporarily from our problems or our to-do list or whatever. And of course, there are some really toxic ways to indulge, and there are relatively less toxic ways to indulge. But the whole process of that, you know, trying to be good, doing what we think is the right thing to do, but doing it from a really personal point of view. And then, because right into the doing it from that point of view, we create the sense of lack, the sense of deserving of a, a reward. We create that right in our mind stream, in our heart. It's there. So it will have its say if that's the perspective we do renunciation or letting go from. I wanted to go play golf. I wanted to go, you know, play tennis. I wanted to go sleep some more. But instead, I had to help my brother or I had to go work or I had to, you know, and I'm going to do it because that's what I'm supposed to do. And then we don't even necessarily catch it, but we start dangling carrots, you know, like if you do that, if you behave, if you do what you think you're supposed to do, then here, I'll promise you this, I'll promise you that. <laughs> promise you everything under the sun. I think that's a lyric from Guys and Dolls. <laughs> and it's just this, uh, that cycle is called samsara in early Buddhism, where we keep doing the same thing, getting the same result. And when we really see what's up, this sense of urgency begins, like, oh, I just keep doing the same thing, getting the same results. And we're willing to be a more, a, a more sincere learner. Like, what is the way out? Does anybody know the way out? The Ajahn Chah, very well-known Thai teacher, um, Buddhist monk, he died in the 90s, 1990s. He said, if you let go a little, you get a little freedom. If you let go a lot, you get a lot of freedom. If you let go completely, your problems are over. And so what? how is it that mindful awareness, recognizing the present moment, how is it that it supports this wholesome letting go? And again, what we need, we don't need to let go of everything. We just need to let go of what needs to be let go of, right? The burdensomeness of attachment, the clinging clinging to anything that's fixed, grasping. So how does mindful awareness lead to that? And it's, there's this basic process that the Buddha, you know, talked about in, in a lot of different ways over the years, which basically involves developing the stability of present moment awareness, clear seeing. That's what we mean by wise samadhi. 
skillful samadhi, this collectedness or this gathering, this unification of my heart, mind, the energies of the heart and mind around this present moment awareness so that it can be sustained. And when that we have that, then what that awareness reflects is the ephemeral, changing, unreliable, unsatisfactory and impersonal nature of everything. Everything we think, every emotion we feel, every sensation, tactile experience we have, taste and touch and smell. So basically, every aspect of experience is revealed to be what it's always been, but we've, you know, the habits of perception and understanding the way the mind makes up meaning has been diluted or distorted. So now we cultivate the stability of present moment awareness, the continuity of present moment awareness, so that the mind is reflects back to itself, you could say, how ephemeral, how unreliable and uncertain, undependable, unsatisfactory, and impersonal. Everything is, even my own thought is fits into that as being unreliable. Every emotion we've had is unreliable. It doesn't provide the sense of self, the ground it really wants. So the more we cultivate that awareness, there is a very real death or grieving. And what is being what is dying and being grieved is wrong understanding. All of the wrong understanding that arose from our superficial ways of perceiving experience and the meaning, the stories we've made up based on that misperception and misunderstanding, all of that dies naturally, unavoidably, when as we, so it isn't all at once, but as we continue to cultivate the stability of awareness, delusion dies. You know, all the ways we make up meaning that doesn't isn't in alignment with the way it is. It has to die. Our fixed views about this, all our certainty, our wrong idea of identity. You know, that's re- there's a real important place for identities. How we use identities to see what we're not seeing. But there's also ways that we misuse identities, thinking that identities is something permanent, that a permanent or fixed attribute of a permanent fixed self. Mm-mm, it's not that way. You can look, you can see if it's that way, and you'll find, I'm guessing, as a lot of us have found over the years of practice, that no matter the story, no matter the identity, that no matter how my mind makes up meaning or describes the way it is, that construction is uncertain, unreliable, undependent, unsatisfactory as some sort of solid ground for me and mine, and it's impersonal. Any way that this mind constructs meaning arises due to causes and conditions. We always think that the meaning that my mind is constructing, it's me, (laughs) because I'm doing it. But when we observe it, 
as a natural process, that, that turns out to be not the case. Whatever thoughts, however sublime and beautiful or despicable the thoughts that this mind constructs, can be seen as a natural process happening because of causes and conditions. And in that way, unreliable, not dependable, not worthy of grasping, not worthy of clinging, not worthy as seeing, interpreting as me or mine. And you see that understanding, seeing things as they are, that comes naturally from having that stability of awareness, that's what leads to letting go. The letting go of attachment, the letting go of the causes for suffering. I remember one of my important teachers, Joseph Goldstein, saying, you know, we don't need to be afraid of letting go. We're only going to let go of the causes for suffering, you know, in the path. But there is a lot of grieving involved in letting go because even though what we're letting go of are the causes for suffering, those causes for suffering that we're letting go of have been sort of the ground of my existence, who and what I've taken myself to be, what, my, what I've taken my life to be. And the stability of present moment awareness has revealed them to be empty of self, not worthy of grasping, not actually solid ground or worthy of, you know, trying to turn into something that can save me or protect me. So when the heart understands that, wisdom understands that deeply, letting go happens. When letting go happens, a new kind of happiness, the happiness of freedom, the happiness of non-grasping appears. Oh, this is what the Buddha's been pointing to. This is what that practice is about, the practices that I've been doing is about. You know, we, we don't really understand what the Buddha's pointing to until we follow this path of practice. We can maybe have a little intuition and it can for sure make sense on an intellectual and a logical level to us. But we really have to do the practice sincerely for a while to get some deeper tastes, experiences of what these practices, this way of being leads to. The freedom of non-grasping the freedom of non-attachment. But we have a little taste, right? Because we see the ways that attachment works in our life. We cultivate an awareness. We learn to feel what it feels like to be attached, to be identified. And if we persist, we'll notice that that, that, that attachment ceases. And it ceases when it's being observed and not fed with attachment or with identification. So attachments are naturally, it's in their nature to cease. All clinging, all fixation, all the ways that this heart is in the habit of being tight, all that tightness has in its very nature to release. Of course, it gets renewed again in the next moment. But we want to notice how the heart naturally puts down, naturally lets go. And so we can practice with really small things, little addictions, 
like we want to go home for those of you who are here later today I want to you know whatever fill in the blank I want to have dessert and we really feel that movement in our heart like I want that I deserve that that will be nice if I have that and we observe that without being confused by what we're feeling and seeing and the thoughts like that's just experience being known emotion being known craving being known it feels like this we keep observing it we keep observing it without doing our best to not feed it by misinterpreting it as me i want this i crave this if i have this then i'll be if those thoughts arise wisdom just sees those as thoughts that are arising and being known and then if you do that with just some ordinary wanting you'll see that that wanting will cease without you gratifying the wanting. Same same thing with aversion, like it's a little cold in the office here where I am, 64 degrees according to this thermometer built into my clock, and uh, I feel that coolness, and I can observe the impulse to want to turn the heat up or to get a sweater or a bigger sweater or something, but if we just observe, not the cold, but the not liking of the cold, we'll see the grip of not liking cease. Because it isn't, nothing is stable in the way. See, if I think it's me that wants the temperature to be warmer, or I want to be warmer, then the mind has a, is a, is a it's entangled because that sense of the me who wants to be warmer, I misunderstand that me as being a permanent entity. So how could the wanting go away without getting warmer? But that's not actually what's happening. It's just sensation being known, like the sensation or the experience of coolness. And then arising out of that experience is the unpleasant feeling of being too cold. And then that triggers some thoughts like, God, it'd be nice to have a warmer sweater or to turn the heat on. But all of that can be observed as a natural process, empty, not referring back to self. It's just exactly what it is. It's something being known. So it's not somehow I got to make it impersonal. I just need to see it as it is and stop imputing there's more there than the experience itself. So that's why it really works to get intimate with the way it is. That is the supporting cause for letting go. Because the cause for holding, for grasping, is the misunderstanding that arises when wisdom isn't intimate with the way it is. Grasping does not happen when wisdom is seeing things clearly. This is something you and I can check out hundreds and thousands of times. We need to. That's what builds the confidence. We keep checking it out. Is that true? So don't go immediately to your most intense attachment where there's a lot of chronic holding. Start with little attachments, little identifications in your life. Cultivate the stability of present moment awareness, this real curiosity be prepared with all the appropriate supports like kindness and forgiveness and patience and persistence and curiosity and 
stability of awareness and calm. But we need all of those things to hang in there with these little attachments, these little fixations, these little addictions that we have in our lives. And we have to persist where we see that the thing, the problem resolves itself without the sense of me getting in there and giving me what I need. Now, I'm not saying that we're never going to put a bigger sweater on or turn the heat up. I'm just saying we really want to learn about this. There's a kind of happiness that arises with this capacity to let go. And letting go happens when the supporting causes are there, which means seeing things as they are. When we talk about dispassion and letting go, it isn't something we can just pick up. Okay, I'm going to be more dispassionate in my life. I mean, it's nice to value that, but what wisdom will want to know, well, how do I become more dispassionate? How do I become more allowing? How do I become more accepting? How do I become less attached, less fixated, less identified with my opinions? Well, the Buddha has an answer for us to check out, see things as they are. And to do that, we actually have to do the work of developing this mental muscle we call present moment awareness or mindfulness. We have to work at it because it's not our habit. Our habit is to be scattered and superficial and to flit about and know this and that, but not really have, not having collected the energies of the mind around this value of being present. And remember, it's that specific ability to recognize this is how it is now in a non-judgmental way. When we do that, what builds in our life is um, this quality called samvega, which is uh, a Pali word. I think it's the same pronunciation in Sanskrit as well. Samvega, S-A-M-V-E-G-A, samvega. Usually gets translated as spiritual urgency, or you could even translate it, I mean, it's a little provocative to say it this way, but as a wholesome fear. And it's that wholesome fear, if I keep doing the same thing, I'm going to keep getting the same results. And one of the better similes that I've heard about this, it's like we're in the prison of our own ignorance. And all we can think to do is rearrange the furniture in our prison. You know, we're in, we're stuck in our very unpleasant habits of heart and mind. And all we're doing is rearranging our habits, but they're all stressful. They're all a burden. We're just rearranging them. So it looks a little different, but it's really the same stuff. Still chasing our likes, chasing our dislikes, still being spun around by greed, hatred, and delusion. So spiritual urgency, this is how Andy Olensky describes it. He's a, a wonderful Buddhist scholar and uh, somebody I did a little teaching with and uh, an important teacher of mine as well. He wrote, when a lion roars in the forest, all the animals tremble and scurry to their places of refuge. This is not the fear of a helpless victim, but a fear that stirs them into action for their own safety. 
In the same way, when a Buddha roars out the truth of impermanent suffering and non-self, those who are wise are moved by the profound sense of spiritual urgency. You know, so when we hear from the Buddha that nothing whatsoever is worthy of grasping, and it kind of, hearing that sort of lines up with our intuition, like how many times I've been burnt by being attached. How many times have I observed others being caught in suffering because of their attachments, their clinging, their grasping? We see it in wars, we see it in big ways, we see it in little poignant ways. We see it over and over and over again. How attachment, fixation leads to suffering. So when we hear that, nothing whatsoever is worthy of grasping, we can kind of, like all of our habits sort of come to mind. Like, oh, Oh, maybe that isn't the way. Maybe my attachments aren't the way to happiness. Maybe letting go is the way to happiness. I just want to read a couple more lines from Andy's short article. By the way, I put this article, just two pages, in the weekly um, email. I'm sorry, in the chat here. I'll put it out one more time. But anyway, Andy Olensky writes here, Samvega, spiritual ur urgency, is often paired with the bright and beneficial quality of pasada, the confidence and clarity that come from knowing that the practice, Buddha Dhamma Sangha, offers a sure way out of trouble. The teacher has shown the way by his example. He has left clear instructions for others to follow and an enduring community exists to support all those who seek refuge. Together, Samvega, spiritual urgency, and Pasada, this confidence in the path, act as a stick and carrot to inspire us to liberation. The goad urges us on, while the goal shines brightly in the view ahead. And we really need both, because if all we have is that spiritual urgency, we can kind of get panicked, like, oh my God, I'm totally screwed. And the idea is that we want to um, know what to do with that fear. That's what makes it wholesome. Okay, there's a path here. It has something to do with cultivating the stability of present moment awareness. And I'm told, I don't want to believe it, but I'm told that when I cultivate that stability, that continuity of present moment awareness, I'll start to notice how natural it is for letting go to happen, for the dropping of attachments, the reduction of identification, the lightness of that, the freedom of that. We start to discern the path. And remember, the path is a natural process, but there is a way to participate in that natural process and it's basically cultivating an appropriate mistrust of distractedness, samsara, you know, all the repeated habits, how we go, what we do to get through the day, to get through the week, to get through our life, all the ways we dangle carrots. We sort of know it's just a carrot 
It's just going to be a temporary thing. I'll watch one more program. It will be entertaining. And then it will be over. And I'll be right back where I was. I'm in the middle of my life, not knowing what really what to do. So it's okay to to have that humility of knowing that we don't know what to do and then checking out, oh, maybe I should check out, the Buddha says, to cultivate present moment awareness. He gives us ways to do that. We start to learn the difference between distractedness and super, superficiality and stability of present moment awareness and that that visceral sense of that stability of present moment awareness. We feel whole. We feel gathered. We feel, and it's a funny word to use, but we feel solid in a way when we have that stability of present moment awareness. It can ultimately feel, for periods of time, unshakable, that presence. Like, whatever comes at us in terms of emotion or thought, memory, or external experience, sounds, whatever happens in front of us, the stability of awareness just knows, okay, now this is being known. Now this is being felt. Now it's like this. It doesn't get shook. It doesn't get destabilized by the natural unfolding of experiences, internal, external, through the six sense gates, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and thinking. Did I get all six? Right? And just the way we know the world. And a lot of that confidence that Andy Olensky is talking about comes from that. We start to feel really confident. Oh, there is something to do that works. And it's it becomes a greater and greater value. We just put the time in. I'm going to be present. And the Buddha says, you know, in a really provocative place, he says, vigilance, this committed committedness to present moment awareness, this vigilance, vigil, you know, it means like I'm going to keep the light on. I'm not going to go back to sleep. I'm going to be awake. Vigilance is the path to awakening, to the deathless. Those who are not mindful are as if already dead, already asleep, already back in the cycle of samsara, doing what they've done before. Because when we're not awake, then we're basically driven by our habits. And our habits is to figure out some kind of carrot to dangle in front of the mind. Oh, I'll chase this. And sometimes we're chasing something that will get us away from what's yucky to us. And sometimes we're chasing something that will be a temporary delight for us. The next vacation, the next date that we're going to have. Or whatever it might be that we dangle. And it can get us through. I mean, clearly, this is if we're privileged enough to have enough carrots to dangle, you know, sort of some people, they don't have that kind of privilege or that sort of good fortune. Not too many carrots they can dangle, maybe to have another breath or to live another day or to find a little warmth. There was, I think, in the 20s here in Minneapolis, and somebody slept on the porch of Common Ground City Center last night. They were here when I got here in the morning. You know, so there are people who don't really have much to dangle in front of them. 
So in the small groups, if you have time to stay for the small groups this morning, it looks like Shannon is here. And uh, one thing you could talk about in those small groups is just uh, how have you seen um, this capacity of stability of awareness and the wisdom that comes from that, that allows your heart to let go naturally as a natural process. It's a grieving, but a willingness to not take the bait to crave and cling. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.